Yeah, we're not. This isn't a you know philosophy final. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we just we won't get into how food is soft power. We'll just leave that alone. Um, <laughs> and this is how Tortellini feeds into hegemonic defense theory. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to Radio Ragu. I am your host, Taylor. I'm Chelsea. And today we have a special guest with us today. Yes, I'm very excited to introduce one of our best friends and classmates, Aditya Nair. Welcome. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. And I'm loving the initiative that you guys started this podcast. A quick introduction about myself. I'm Aditya Nair. I go by Adi. This is my first time here, so I'm excited about that. And I'm studying with Taylor and Chelsea. I'm doing international relations, my master's in Bologna. And yeah, I think that's, uh, you will re- discover more about me when we talk. Of course. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. We all go to class together. We all have each other literally in class. You chose Bologna just like the rest of us, but why come to Bologna? Well, I, I had previous experience in Italy. For my Erasmus, I was doing my bachelor's in Poland. And for my Erasmus exchange, I came to Forli, a small town near Bologna. And they have a campus over there, so I studied there. And I enjoyed the experience. There were some great professors. I liked Italian food. I liked Italian culture. And when I when it was time for me to do my master's, I decided, why not come back and uh, finish my master's over here? So, yeah, my experience before, my, before making this decision to move completely helped me a lot to move to Italy. Yeah. That's awesome. And where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Bahrain, but which is a small island near Saudi Arabia. But I originate from Kerala, which is the southern part of India, near Sri Lanka. I grew up, even though I grew up in uh, Bahrain, I'm still very much in touch with my roots because that's the way my parents brought me up. And uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm from. Wonderful. Clearly have a significant amount of international travel under your belt. So that has to have giving you a lot of experience just when it comes to multiple aspects of life and culture and seeing multiple corners of the world and what that has to offer. How do you feel that living in international life? Because one of the things that Taylor and I talk about often is that we sort of pushed ourselves out there a little later, maybe, because we didn't grow up traveling the world. I left the country the first time when I was 12 and then left again when I was 16. It So, you know, we had these very sparse intervals of being able to experience the world out there but it sounds like you've always had sort of that international aspect to your upbringing and to you know just your life in general how do you feel like that has made you who you are it certainly made me open-minded because uh my parents are hindu we are from India so the predominant religion is Hindu and I grew up in Bahrain which is an Arabic Muslim country then I moved to a super Catholic country so (laughs) I got to experience lots of different cultures not just the religious aspect also um, about um, cultural aspects food language barriers I experienced all of that I moved out of uh, Bahrain when I was 19 I did some traveling before that I used to go to India to visit my grandparents did some traveling around Asia And after that, I moved to Poland and I spent some years over there and I got to experience various different people, different people even within the same country. But of course, like any other country, there are some good experiences and bad experiences. And fortunately, I have been the recipient of mostly good experiences. So I'm really grateful for that. 
That is great. That's good to hear. That's, we like to hear that. That's good. <laughs> so we're going to get into food a little bit more later on in the show. But there is one food that we have to ask you about. As people have heard before, it's a big deal for us. What is your favorite flavor of gelato? Okay, but first I want to specify that gelato is my favorite dessert in the whole world. Okay. Really? Yes, it is. In the entire world? In the entire world. When I was a child, I used to dream about like mountains of ice cream and me skiing down mountains of ice cream and just rolling around in mountains of ice cream. And during this time, the but during my time of dreaming about ice creams, this movie came out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And when this movie came out, I really thought, I was really hoping as a child that this would become a reality. And I used to pray to the Lord, even though I'm agnostic right now. But I used to pray to the Lord, please let this become a reality. I want a sinus like this. But uh, <laughs> yes, so gelato is my favorite dessert. But my favorite flavor is actually something that I discovered after coming here, and that's salted pistachio. Pistachio. However you pronounce it. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good choice. That's really, that's one of my favorites I like to get as well. I get that. And people confuse it with regular pistachio, but no, it has to be salted. Salted salt, pistachio. It gives something new to it. It's almost like, for Americans, when you put salt on chocolate chip cookies. Yes. When you have sea salt or something on top to balance out kind of the sweetness that naturally comes from the other flavors, you get a really different, delicious balance. It adds that complexity that just makes it delicious. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing vice versa as well. You add sugar, for example, when you're making something spicy in Indian cuisine, you add sugar to balance out the flavor as well. Just because it's bad, it's all about balance. You need the, all, all the flavors to hit you at the right spots. And uh, some sugar, some salt always helps you out. Salt always like... does, sugar sometimes does. Interesting, I like that. I feel like we're getting a beautiful lesson on harmony through food. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, there's a lesson in here with this balance and I'm liking it. I like this a lot. It's the whole yin-yang concept but with salt and sugar. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yin-yang and I get to eat it. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like a black and white cookie. Heck yeah. Exactly. Oh god, I haven't had a black and white cookie in so long. Really? Do you know what those are? I, I was assuming that you guys t were talking about Oreo or something. No. That's the only black and white cookie I know. I will defer to the Northeasterner because I have experienced it, but I have not lived it as he has. So the black and white cookie is a specific cookie. It's very popular from the Northeastern United States in New England, New York, and my region. And there's a few different ways you can do it. There's no strict rule, but the most common one is you have this little bit of a chocolate, like thin cookie base with one part is chocolate frosting and the other part is like a buttercream frosting, usually a vanilla or you can customize generally vanilla. It's very simple, but you can pound a hundred of those in 20 minutes if left to my devices. Actually, it's interesting that you say that because for me, mm -hmm. those were enormous. The ones that we had in Westchester, yeah, they had the black and white on top, but it was like a freaking cake. It was so hard really? for me to even eat one of them. So it sounds like there's actually more variety to this than I knew about. Apparently, because I've always known black and white cookies as very thin and not crispy, but like very thin cake batter. That was delicious. But now, now I want to know these from Westchester. This sounds great. Anyway, yin and yang, black and white. It's the perfect cookie. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised at the way. I mean, growing up, I didn't have a lot of cookies mm -hmm. because it's, it's popular in India or Bahrain, but not the variations that you were talking about. So do you guys know about Biscoff? Yes. Yeah. I'm unfamiliar with it. I've not heard of it. So Biscoff is this 
biscuit, which was self-explanatory, I think. But it, it's just sugar, glucose, and we had a similar kind of biscuit called parliji. This is Indian, and it's usually paired with the tea, like Indian chai, masala chai, uh, which is a spiced Indian tea. Mm-hmm. And growing up as a kid in an Indian household, this was what was familiar to me. I was never familiar with like cream cookies that much, as much as clearly you guys. Fair. Well... Yeah, for your reference, Biscoff is sometimes also called Speculoos, depending on where you are. Oh, Speculoos, yes. Okay. Okay, no, I'm familiar with that. If they have different names. They taste basically like a Teddy Graham, in yes. my opinion. Like those little teddy bear-shaped snacks that you get in preschool. Absolutely, they're so good. <laughs> but what I'm really getting into here, what I'm seeing here, is that food has a lot of different meanings for different people. And we'll be able to get into that more after the break. We wanted to ask a few more questions to Adi about his passion for food and his passion for cuisine and learning all about it. And we thought we would let you, Adi, tell us a little bit about what got you into food. Well, always a foodie. I was always a foodie. But I did not start cooking until I was I moved out of my house when I was 19. And I did not start see, like cooking good, emphasis on the good, when I when COVID hit, because then I had lots of time in my house, and that that's when my brain juices started developing, and be like, Adi, you need to eat better. And my, you know, I used to call my mom, be like, Mom, you can instruct me and you know teach me how to cook well. And I used to even ask stupid questions such as, how much salt should I put? And my mom does. I don't think anybody can tell you how much salt should you put because it, you usually eyeball it, and that's how you know good food works when you eyeball stuff. Even before that, I, I used to enjoy eating different cuisines and everything. For me, food is a way to connect people because when I moved to a new country, I, when I moved to Poland, it was a scary thing for me, a big move, a big shift and change. And the way I bonded with my roommates, my friends, it was through food. I used to live with a Chinese person and a person from Azerbaijan. And uh, we used to share each other's food. We used to share each other's uh, dishes when we cooked. That's so and, cool. Wait, so where were you during lockdown, if I can ask? Were you in Poland at this point or were you? During the lockdown, I was in Poland and I was doing my bachelor's during this time. So we still had classes online and I couldn't travel as much because of the pandemic, obviously. But uh, I was in Poland to answer your question. Yes. So that's that must be really cool then that you you were in this lockdown, but you almost through your roommates and through sharing food had more of the world open to you than just sitting in your apartment eating the same old thing (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly and i'm really grateful for that experience not for the pandemic of course i don't think we are grateful for that nobody's grateful for that yeah well that's uh not quite (laughs) (laughs) but uh in terms of experience and getting to know each other it kind of pushed me to get to know more cultures to get to know more people and uh, i still remember this my chinese friend he made this coca-cola chicken and i thought it was so bizarre but it tasted so damn good that i wanted even today wow i've never had that i'll have to find it somewhere you can make it i still know how to make it oh great i've heard of coca-cola chicken before and i had the same reaction i went really coca-cola and chicken and the person who I was talking to about this, they went, and it's one of the best chicken dishes you'll ever try, I promise you. 
Yeah, it's not the healthiest. Granted, it's Coca-Cola, but it's very delicious, especially paired with some garlic, you know, lemongrass, spring onion. It's you guys have to try it. Mm. So you talked about food being a bridge between people. And you mentioned some of that during your time in Poland. What's that been like in Italy? Have you had experiences with that recently? Um, has it helped you feel more either grounded to home or connected here? Yes, it has. And the first thing I notice when I talk to new people is almost 90% of the time, the conversation will talk about food at some point. And that's when I started realizing that it's the one constant in our lives that we can bond over. Everybody eats food. Exactly. And everybody wants delicious food and they bond over delicious food, no matter which culture it's from or, you know, what is used in it or something. Of course. And uh, for me, gr- being in Italy right now, I, right now I'm exploring Italian cuisine and it's great. There's a misconception that uh, around the world that Italian food is just pizza and pasta. And I'm actually doing a series on TikTok and other pla- social media platforms where I'm trying to make things that are not pizza and pasta to introduce Indian audience as well as like all the other audience whoever is watching out there that Italian food is not just pizza and pasta. And that's one of the surprising things that I you know, figured out when I was here. And also that the pizza that we eat and the pasta that I ate when I was growing up is so different from what you get here. Being here kind of debunked that myth that pizza should be this way or pasta should be this way. And I got to experience the traditional food, which was really enlightening for me because I enjoyed it much more. But in terms of missing my own food, um, my food, which is Indian cuisine, sometimes I find it hard to live here in terms of getting the ingredients, getting that exact feel and taste of how my mom makes it, for example. And it's, it's sometimes hard, but at the same time, it just may pushes you to be more creative and just improvise. If you don't have cilantro, just use parsley and you find that, okay, it gives a different flavor and you get to experience a new thing. And then I go back to my mom and I teach her this and she's like, wow, Wadi, that's so great. So it, it has ups and downs. That's cool. So you've learned from those experiences of not being able to find the right ingredients, which, you know, some people would probably feel stressed out about that. Like I... I forced a little bit of an import on mine. I asked my mom for vanilla and almond extracts for my birthday because I didn't want to use the powder in baking anymore. <laughs> but you took those things, those alternatives, and created an exchange that you even brought back to your mom, which is so cool to me. A really cool point that you brought up of how coming here and you're experimenting with foods that you've known your whole life that you know your mom and your grandma have made and I'm guessing that we all have those similar foods and how even exploring new regions you bring those foods with you but they start to evolve at the same time they take on these new personas and profiles and then you bring it back and chain response of food evolution that I think is fascinating and is a key consequence of moving and traveling abroad exactly and I also brought back my mom and my parents the food that I, I guess you could call it a fusion or maybe not a fusion, just like evolved food. But at the same time, I did bring a lot of European dishes to European or food from other cultures back home when I went and visited my mom. I remember the first time I made guacamole for them. They had never, avocado is not 
of food that is staple in our diet mm. and the first time i made guacamole for my parents last year when i went back their minds were blown and my dad was like i want this for every breakfast of mine and <laughs> i topped it off with a nice sunny side <laughs> egg <laughs> and they were super happy with it and yesterday my mom made guacamole and she was just calling me i made it again and it was so good uh, but avocado is expensive where i'm from so i'm just happy that they even when they are 55 years old they're still willing to explore and try new cuisines because not a lot of old people are into that kind of stuff exploration of food and cuisines it can be hard to get people of a different generation who haven't traveled out there but i've seen with the generations of my family how gradually i guess sort of in rhythm with how the world has opened people have become more open you know you have my husband's grandfather for example who his thing was going to village in and getting tomato soup you know that that was his adventure at a certain point of his life that i knew him maybe he was different when he was younger but that was sort of when i think of him i think of village in of course <laughs> then you have my mom who there's actually a pretty decent sized indian community in boise that my mom has gotten to know and she i've seen her gradually become more willing to embrace that when it comes from friends when it comes from people around her saying like look i made this for you she's a lot more open a lot more receptive and then you have people like us i guess who just fling ourselves to the corners of the world to see what we can find absolutely and i i know i have a blast of that of walking into restaurants because in vermont there isn't it's a small state there's not a lot of larger communities or you know expat communities from around the world but there is a few and i love just walking in these little markets of i may not even really know what like the kind of cuisine i'm walking into but just to walk in and go i'm going to find out we're going to learn today and just seeing what happens is some of the most fun when it came to food i ever had and i tr- love doing that while i'm here as well just walk in So, Adi, we actually have a little surprise for you. I got some Alpenliebe on my way home from the store today. Just a little something to welcome you onto the show. Oh, that is so sweet. Oh my god, Alpenliebe is I shared with Chelsea that this has been one of my childhood chocolates, the candies to be precise that I grew up with, and that is such a sweet gesture. It it's my mom's favorite, my favorite, my sister's favorite, family favorite candy, then it's Alpenliebe. So, thank you so much, Chelsea. That's so sweet. Awesome. Let's share it together and come back after the break. So, what do you guys think about the candy? Did you like it? That was really good. That was so awesome. I was thinking it's like those caramels or butterscotch that old women in the states notoriously have in their bags. only they actually taste good because they haven't sat there for 2 years collecting dust. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, they're the candies back home that you can never figure out where they bought them. Like you go to a shop and you can't find them. I don't know where these people got these candies. And it's like all of that but so much better. I loved how creamy it was. It it didn't have the bite that I'm used to expecting from a caramel. It was just really subtle, friendly, fun to suck on. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to hear that because this is my favorite candy probably. I'm not a huge candy guy. Mm. I prefer chocolates, but uh and other sweet stuff. But candies, I think I I don't like gummy worms, sorry, you know, sour punks, if you guys know what that is, but yeah. I believe 
it's one of the best candies ever for me. Absolutely. It might be one of like the best caramel butterscotch candies I've ever had. And I'm not just saying that. It was really good. Super nice. Thank you for sharing, Adi. Thank you, Adi. <laughs> no worries. Glad you guys enjoyed it. So we were told that you actually have another story about food and bringing people together with food. Yes, I do have a story. It's actually very special to me because it brought me closer to a family that I I know. And uh, it, it was basically my ex's family. During Easter, her mom is a nurse, so she didn't have enough. This was during COVID, by the way. In Poland then? In Poland, exactly. In Poland, okay. And her mom is a nurse, so she had duty in, during COVID period. You know how it was. It was frantic and... People were dying, so she was on call 24 hours. And she was really upset that she couldn't she couldn't really uh, be there for us during Easter to cook a nice Easter meal. And since I love cooking, I volunteered. And I said that maybe if you, don't, if you guys don't mind, I can cook something Indian. And she was very happy with it. And I actually cooked quite a feast, quite an Indian feast. I cooked some chicken tandoori, uh, some ghee rice some Indo-Chinese cuisine, which is a specific cuisine from India and China near the borders. Mm -hmm. I was so happy that they loved my food. They And she was really happy that I cooked for them because it was like, you know, 12 people or something. It really is a special story for me because the relationship that we had, it was strengthened through food. And this is how I remember it. And I cherish this memory like forever. And it was their first experience with Indian food. And I'm happy that they enjoyed it. That's incredible. That had to have been, in a way, an, a, kind of an emotional experience where it's, you, you're literally watching the bond between, you know, this food that you've grown up with for years, people who have never seen Indian cuisine grow and respond so positively. That had to have been, that had to have been something really special for you. It takes a level of vulnerability, too, to present you, in a way, on a plate <laughs> to say, this is me, this is what I have to offer. That is true, because oftentimes I feel like a lot of people are judged by what they eat. And this is true, especially in schools, for example, you op open it like an immigrant child. Maybe you hear stories like this. An immigrant child opens a different box and oh, it's so smelly or something like that. And they're often judged. But it, it was really nice to see that, uh, you know, my food is accepted and even small things like for example, eating with my hand. It's a very normal thing for me to do, but sometimes I used to I used to be insecure about it, eating in front of Europeans who use uh, forks and spoons and knives. But uh, this is the way I grew up, eating with my hands. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't eat spaghetti, you know, with hands, or I don't like <laughs> just grab a handful of pasta and stuff it in my, inside my mouth. <laughs> but <laughs> when it comes to eating rice and curry, like food that's supposed to be, not supposed to be, just traditionally been eat, eaten with hand, I usually use my hands and now I'm over that insecurity because now my European friends and my American friends, they love to learn, they love to eat with their hands because I'm teaching them how to. It's not as easy as it, it is because there's, you know, technique with the fingers and everything. It's a little funny for me when I see just rice slipping out of the hands of people who, <laughs> who are eating for the first time. But uh, uh, I try to be a, a good teacher. You're making me think of my experience in Nepal eating the national sort of dish that everybody eats every day, dalbat. It's rice and lentils. And yeah, it was it was an experience for my team of Americans on this internship to figure out how to get the soft rice and the soft lentils in a good position to eat. But 
you know, sharing that experience and even the way that you eat, not just what you eat, that's that's just as much a part of it, I think. Exactly. And people have questions. They're afraid. Oh, is it going to be too hot? Is it going to be uh, too like dirty? But, you know, sometimes for good food, you got to make those sacrifices. Burn your fingers and eat good food. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I relate to that because I know there are many times, even here in Italy, there are certain foods that I make and they look incredible, delicious, fresh made. My first, like my first habit is to pick up a fork and knife. And then I'll have someone next to me just kind of shake their head. I put the fork down and I pick it up with my hand and then they nod to me and I go, okay, now I know how to eat this correctly. And I, <laughs> I just don't know, but I love just this little experiment. Like, am I doing this right? Okay, yes, I am doing this right. Good, now I can eat. And it's, I love that learning process because it adds another dimension to that food that I think is really fascinating and enthralling to learn about. Makes sense. I mean, when you think about the kinds of things that are taught through food, about how to treat one another, how to care for one another. And, you know, when you get to share that experience, I really think there's nothing like it on earth. And so I'm really glad that we got to focus our podcast on that today. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us, Adi. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, so I have a small cooking channel. It's, well, less cooking and more talking, I would say, but it's still fun. I do it. I do it with love. I do it with passion. And it's called Indian Guy Cooks. Not the most creative name, but people know what I do just by the username, by my handle. So I think that's helpful. Mm -hmm. So you can find me on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. But uh, join, I would say join my TikTok because there's some interesting comments. People, we are, we are building a community. I went live for the first time and uh, there were like 150 people in my live. And it was super wholesome. So join my community if you want to listen to me talk about food. If you want to if you want to see me cook food, introduce my culture. And also just to watch me try new stuff. We'll be there. Oh, we'll be there. Don't worry. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening, everyone. This is Radio Ragu with Taylor and Chelsea <laughs> and our dear friend Adi. Thank Thanks. you guys for having me over. Thank you. We'll look forward to having you again. Ciao, everyone. Ciao.